0: Seconds flat. Give it up. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. Bill Hill head at the tape,
1: twenty to ten thousand meters. Stand by for the kick of Dave Waddle. If he's got it, he could make it. I think he did. Dave Waddle
0: wants to go to the medal. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in.
1: Hi again, friends. Welcome to Mile 91 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here. I got Benjamin alongside me. Benjamin, good morning.
0: Good morning, sir. How are you?
1: Oh, I am excited to preview the Olympics. We're going to start off with last night's... Actually, here, East Coast, it was early this morning. You and I were watching just a few hours ago. Matt Centrowitz's American mile record attempt. I'll tell you what, man, I'm a, I'm a little punchy this morning. I watched Centro. I watched some Olympic swimming last night. Up early to run. I'm on like three hours of sleep. Who knows what's gonna happen? Let's let's talk about the Centro event last night. He was targeting Alan Webb's 3:46.9 mile record. The Coverage was from Tracklandia on YouTube, featured Evan Jaeger. He had a nice TV broadcasting personality, I thought, Benji. The uh, star American steepler was good in his coverage. So they made a made-for-YouTube event as a last hard workout 10 days out for Centro in his attempt to defend his 1,500-meter Olympic championship. He fell a little short, 349. It was a personal best, though, and moved him into the top five American men's milers of all time. Pacers got out hot. They put him on the target. But I thought the biggest problem he faced was the Pacers dropping off with 600 meters to go, and he was left all alone. Even though he was on the number, he had to put in a lot of hard work. He looked smooth, just tucked in behind him. Uh, he quickly dropped Sam Prakel the former oregon star trip hurt as well but just not quite enough to hit that web mark which has stood for now 14 years since the summer of Webb, the summer of 2007 benji your thoughts on matt Centrowitz last night in portland and what it might mean for the upcoming olympic games
0: absolutely First off, it was great to see the tactician in a fast race. Mm-hmm. Centro is not a known time trialer. To see him go for it is uncharacteristic, and it makes you have to ask the question why. I think the event was a big success, largely because of that why. Uh, people saw this as solely an assault on an American record, but I believe this was an Olympic final preparation simulation. hmm We all know what most likely is going to happen in the final is Tim Chariot of Kenya is going to take this 15 final out blazing fast. Centro hasn't been in that situation other than in a a Monaco Diamond League meet. This was perfect simulation going out 54 seconds the first 400, which Tim often does, and then 151 through the 800. Centro is more of a 15 5k style runner now as he's progressed in his career. He's a strength guy, and I think the plan is going to be for him to go on Tim and outstrength them. So I think this was a huge success and a really smart play by Coach Schumacher and Centro.
1: To paraphrase the great American troubadour, Jameis Winston, I believe he once stated, if I strong and you strong, then we strong. <laughs> and, and that is what we might see in the Olympic final. I'm
0: relieved that was the Winston quote. you used.
1: <laughs> I, It was either that or something about stealing crab legs from a grocery store. I can't remember. He had a prodigious college <laughs> career at Florida State. To step back, you mentioned Chariot. In our last episode, we talked about it. He was at the time not a certainty to be in the Olympic final, although he is the world leader. Athletics Kenya has put him on their Olympic team. So this leads us to the first of our burning questions. We're gonna go through three biggest questions that we believe for both men and women will be answered in track and field at the Olympic games. And these are the reasons you must watch the greatest in the world. So number one, we have an American, maybe more than one. We have a European, we have an African, all as gold medal contenders. Who is the world's greatest metric miler? Benji, would you like to make an early assertion or maybe handicap the field?
0: All right. So for this prediction, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot the three. Mm. Uh, I'm going with the Algerian. Yes. uh, Tafik Magloufi. He is the London Olympics 1500 meter champion. He medaled in both the 15 and 800 in Rio, uh, largely under the radar The last few years, as they found a bag of syringes and performance-enhancing drugs in his possession, allegedly in his possession, it was a bag that belonged to him, though it wasn't on his person, so they can't definitively say. So I'm going with the test tube
1: baby for the gold. Hey, we've all been in the bag of syringes, precarious position. Who are we to judge? I'm just the bag man. The Mac Daddy's back. He's not raced much. He certainly has the wheels. We'll see. Uh, There is all kinds of uncertainty swirling around his career. Centro is your defending Olympic champion. I totally agree with you, Ben, that last night was about setting up the type of race that he needs to be able to run to win in Tokyo to get out hot. But then can he have the gear? Can he hold on? Can he keep guys to the outside as he did when he controlled the rail in 2016? I don't think that 349 scares anyone among the, the big hitters in this event. Mm-hmm. These are all guys who can, who can run that number as well as just look at the close of even Cole Hawker, who we've talked about in in the last lap uh, against Centro here in the Olympic trials. I am going to assert that it is Chariot's time. He will win. We will find out. It's an early morning final Eastern time here. Uh, That's Saturday, August 7, uh, so near the end of the games. This may be the most anticipated event In terms of multiple favorites, where we have a handful of guys who potentially could win this, some of them we might not even see get through the rounds to the final. It's going to be cutthroat, absolutely, to get to the final event. Let's move for our second biggest question to more of a predicted head-to-head showdown. That's men's 400-meter hurdles final, which will be Monday, August 2nd. That is a late night, 11.20 p.m. Eastern Will Karsten Warholm versus Rye Benjamin be the greatest hurdle duel ever? Benjamin, what say you?
0: Yes. I say both men go under the world record. Oh, there it is. And that Karsten Warholm will win.
1: Okay. Warholm is the two-time defending world champion from Norway. He is your current world record holder at 46.7 seconds. Rye Benjamin is currently number three all-time at 46.83. He has an NCAA championship and two U.S. titles under his belt. As an aside, Americans have won seven of the last nine Olympic gold medals in this event. That is dating back to the legendary Edwin Moses, and potentially Benjamin could move not you, Benjamin, but Rye Benjamin. I, although, I don't know. I don't want to take you out of the conversation here. Uh, Rye you. Benjamin could move into that class with Moses with a gold here. Uh, his time's already put him in the company of former world record holder Kevin Young, uh, who was our gold medalist in 92 at Barcelona, and two-time gold medalist Angelo Taylor. That was 2000, and then again in 08. At Beijing. Interesting point here is neither man, Rye Benjamin, nor Karsten Warholm, has an Olympic medal, but they have established themselves as two of the all-time greats and can move to the next tier with the just handful of names of the best ever. But to have both men, two of the top three, potentially in the same race, head to head. And I agree with you, Ben. A gold here will likely require a new world record. The racing tactics that they use stack up well to press the time. Warholm likes to get out hard. Benjamin is known to be a little bit more of a closer. You heard the prediction from our guy. Both of them go under the world record, and you're taking Karsten Warholm, correct? I am. Do you want to put a number out there? Do you want to get really spicy? Ooh. Ooh.
0: Well, I'm just going to go ahead and admit I'm basing this off nothing. I love um, that. I'm going to say 46-6. They both go 46-6. It's going to be 6-3, uh, decimal 6-3 versus decimal
1: 6-7. Okay. Rye's going to
0: leave it a little too late on the close.
1: This is the transparency that the audience loves when you admit that you're basing this on absolutely nothing other than a sheer randomness of number selection. I will also take Karsten Warholm. We'll get the question answered again Monday, August 2nd. So this one's coming a little sooner than the 1500 meter that we mentioned first. And I will also say world record. I had 46.6 as my number as well. But you know what? Just for you, I'm going to go under. How about this? Ooh. I'm going to say 46.58 for the win. <laughs> That's electric. That is. Uh, Karsten Warholm, I'll take Rye Benjamin second. Uh, we have not mentioned the uh, – there is a, a third name lurking in the weeds. I'm going to take Dos Santos for the bronze. Uh, he seems like a, a heavy favorite for that. Now, with that said, we just declared Warholm versus Benjamin as the greatest hurdle duel ever an absolute must watch on Monday, August 2nd. Leads to our next question. Is the women's 400-meter hurdle duel between Sidney McLaughlin – and Dalila Muhammad, actually a better race.
0: So for the uninitiated, why would it be?
1: The last three times McLaughlin and Muhammad got on the track together, racing in a championship finals, one of them has set a world record. So the following night, August 3rd, the following night after the men's 400-meter hurdle final, we will likely see... McLaughlin, the first woman ever to run 400 meters over hurdles in under 52 seconds, which she just did at the U.S. Trials for a new world record, face off with the previous Olympic gold medal winner, 2016 in Rio, Mohammed, who is the former world record holder and the world champion. So separated by a, a decade in age, this is a showdown in which Muhammad can stake her claim as the best and most accomplished 400-meter hurdler of all time, or Sid the Kid can continue her prolific rise and, in my opinion, embark on what could be a decade of dominance. So that's the argument why it might be an even better race to the one that we just said is the best ever. When we go to the women's side, have I convinced you, Benjamin, that this is even more must-see than Warholm versus Rye Benjamin? I'm
0: convinced. I think when the 30 for 30 comes out on this, they're going to title it Legacy versus Destiny. So, Legacy or Destiny in the women's 400 meter hurdles final?
1: I am going to take Destiny. Mm -hmm. It is Sydney McLaughlin for the gold. I went back yesterday and watched again the trials final where she set the world record in Eugene. It is remarkable to me through the final hurdle, just how smooth she was and how effortless it appeared. And even into the home turn, Mohammed had an edge. For the casual track fan, when watching the hurdles because of the staggers and the lanes, it can be hard to tell who's actually winning. So the key to look for is who is first over the hurdle. And Mohammed was first over the hurdle through nearly 300 meters in that, that race there was just a grace and a smooth effortless nature to Sydney McLaughlin's effort and then it was out of the final hurdle just an absolute hammer to the finish it's remarkable to think that an athlete can make 51.9 over hurdles look that easy I think she's going to continue to break her world record there's a very real chance she does it again here don't underestimate the hunger in what might be Muhammad's last chance at the record. I, I do think that she has the ability that we see her still again in four more years. Well, that's actually only three more years to, to see her at the next games. But McLaughlin is a once-in-a-generation athlete that we are watching. Remember, we saw her as a high schooler at the last games. Who are you going to take, my man?
0: I'm going with McLaughlin as well. I think it's evident just from her racing schedule uh, that she's taken new steps to achieve this level. We saw her largely just racing the 100 hurdles this year, really focusing on getting over the hurdles more efficiently. Uh, She's become more technically sound. and It's actually shown from her races and actually the last three years of her career that her 400-meter season best has actually gotten a little bit slower each year but her 400 hurdles are getting quicker. So they've realized Sydney is fast. So now they're just making sure she's as, as efficient as possible. And that seems to be what's taking her to the next level.
1: Are you calling for another world record here?
0: I am. I am not going to say they both go under, but okay. I will say that Sydney goes under.
1: Can they both go under 52?
0: I mean, of course they can. It's the Olympics.
1: I love that answer. And what do we really have to lose by saying that they can? I don't think they both will, but I think they both can. All right. So speaking of precocious young pups who have diversified their event portfolio in the past year, let's turn to the women's 800. That's our next big burning question. With Castor Semenya not eligible for the women's eight, does rising American star Athing Mo step into the power vacuum and win gold at the tender young age of 19 years old?
0: Oh, you're asking me?
1: Okay. Well, I, I didn't know if that was just out there for, in general, if anyone wanted to respond or if that's specific to you. But yeah, go ahead and take a stab at it.
0: Yeah, I think there's two factors um, that can affect her negatively. Uh, one, she just needs to make it through the rounds. This is a new experience for her. She she did show poise and experience at the trials, making it through the rounds. But the Olympic Games are definitely different. Mm -hmm. She needs to execute each round first. And then I think in the final, we need to see her in that top three to four positions at 400, just to make sure she's tactically safe. She's new to the event. She's absolutely talented, unbelievable. She's the next big thing. But she's young. She's inexperienced. We need her at the front of the race, so she's not caught in a box and fighting her way up the last hundred and leaving it too late. She's the fastest woman in the world right now, and she needs to run up front like she is. And I think if we see her there at 400, there's no chance she's losing.
1: Brilliant points, Benji. Uh, Assuming she advances through those rounds, the Shot at the Gold will happen on the morning of August 3rd. So we're seeing a bunch of events right there. August 2nd and 3rd are going to be incredible days for the finals. The backstory here is Castor Semenya stormed two victories in 2012 and 2016. Put up just remarkable times. But she has refused to undergo treatment to lower her testosterone levels And she can't race at that event this year, given new rules for intersex athletes in women's competition. The belief of the governing bodies is from events 400 meters to a mile that the increased testosterone levels uh, played a significant advantage for not just Semenya, but several uh, intersex athletes in recent years. So that leads us to a point where your world leader is a freshman from Texas A&M who just turned pro and signed with Nike. Mo has the second fastest time in American history, which she set at the U.S. Olympic trials. She'll be dueling with a talented American team. I think there's a very real chance for multiple uh, American medal winners here. Remember, Kate Grace just set Europe on fire over the past few weeks in the Diamond League. She didn't even make the American team. The next wrinkle to that is what Laura Muir does. If she decides to come into the 100 as well, she adds another potential medalist. I'm gonna take your comments about inexperience and twist those for the opposite argument, actually, Ben. I believe that at times, what you don't know can be of value to you. The lack of experience here, I think also eliminates a bit of a fear factor just go out and be fast, be your best. You're the world leader. You know exactly what to do. You've been setting records, age group records for years. We saw her in the spring season with a lot of focus at 400 meters to work on her speed. So I'm gonna go with the youngster. I'm gonna say this becomes one of the great stories out of the 2020 slash 2021 Tokyo games that a 19 year old wins gold in the women's 800 meters
0: if a thing mo wins gold is she america's greatest middle distance runner of all time
1: oh my
0: as a female middle distance runner of all time
1: yeah i assumed you meant female but at age 19 that's an early statement wow it seems a bit bold and presumptuous but It's definitely a short list that she gets put in. It's hard for me, I understand your point, but it's hard for me to put her ahead of even, say, Jenny Simpson at this point, who is probably our recent number one. Of course, you could go back in history to, say, a Mary Decker Slaney.
0: That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. So what if she sets an American record mid-race? Or, well, not mid-race. You'd have to finish the race. But I would, I she would hope
1: she is, uh, yes. Uh, our advice generally to Olympians, and I know a lot of you are listening, Olympians, to this show. Well, we can obviously assume that our good friend Joe Klecker, current Olympian in the 10,000 meters, of the- he, friend of the show, he's listening. There's no doubt. Joe, we go way back to playing Would You Rather on Minnesota Sports Questions with that guy back before he was the big deal. Olympians, if you are listening, our advice Remains the same. Finish your event. It is the most likely path towards success in the Olympics, actually finishing your event. So you're suggesting if she wins and sets uh, an American record? Was that your... Yeah. <sighs> I love that the point of this race is to have these big questions. Excuse me. The point of this episode is to have these big questions, the excitement why everyone must tune in and for us to make bold prognostications. But again, we, we don't want to be just prisoners of the moment, as we've said. I'd love to just let a career play out and see what happens. But if it ended the day after, let's say on August 4, she decides to hang it up. She's just going to go to college and finish out her degree at A&M. I'm not sure that anyone would have a better claim but I have always been a fan of the, the depth of a career. I think that's a good reason for us to transition actually now to the event that closes the Olympic Games. What is the historically seminal event of the Olympics, the men's marathon? Because there you go to a, an athlete who has an unparalleled, history of success over multiple years in the gold medal favorite Elliot Kipchoge. He, he would be the counter to the young gun like a thing Mo. Uh, we could see that as well in uh, the 200 meter men's race. Uh, our own a- Arian Knighton, the electric 17 year old who could be on the medal stage there. He is the world under 20 record holder faster than Usain Bolt at that distance at that age. But pivoting back to the marathon, that will be in Sapporo rather than Tokyo. They moved that event north in the hope of providing more favorable conditions away from the extreme heat. This will be of particular interest to the host country. Japan has a storied tradition of marathon success. They culturally love distance running in a way that virtually no one else in the world does, between the marathon and the uh, distance relay racing that they compete in. They have placed an enormous incentivized bounty on developing marathon medal winners at home. This has been the target with what is known as Project Exceed for the past six years. They have offered, we mentioned it before, a 100 million yen Bonus to any Japanese citizen who sets a certified national record uh, in the marathon over that time. So, the two prohibitive Japanese favorites coming out of that would be Suguru Osaka, who twice broke the national record in that time, lowering his best mark to 205.29. And then earlier this year at Lake Biwa, Kenjo Suzuki goes under 205, the first Japanese man to do so. He's their new standard bearer. As a sign of the depth in Japanese marathoning that we've seen historically but is even greater now in the Project Exceed Tokyo Olympic era, 42 Japanese men ran under 210 at Lake Biwa. To give you perspective in an American comparison, We saw our deepest sub-210 marathon field at the Marathon Project last December in Arizona. It did not include a couple of our best runners like Galen Rupp, who would assuredly be sub-210, but we had seven American men break the number there. That's our fastest field, the most sub-210s ever, one-sixth of the Japanese number at Lake Biwa. Uh, The great Yuki Kawauchi, the citizen runner, who was the 2018 Boston champion, ran a new personal best of 207 at Lake Biwa. It grabbed him only 10th position, and a man with 23 sub-211 marathons can't even make the Japanese team for this game. That gives you an idea of what this means to the Japanese. So the big question here is, can they succeed in this quest? to medal, or in their hope, of bringing home gold? Or will it be another coronation of the great one, Elliot Kipchoge? What do we think, Ben?
0: So I'm going to go ahead and say that no one is beating Kipchoge on the day. Hmm. But I I do think we see a Japanese team member on the podium.
1: Okay, so a, a big question I have is, does the lack of crowd hurt the home team's chances perhaps as much or more than any event? 26 miles of streets lined with crazed Japanese fans. There's, of course, the adrenaline, like, over-the-top factor that they have to manage and mitigate in those circumstances. But, boy, this seems like a place where they could really carry one of their own to a medal.
0: Japanese culture is intertwined with thoughts of honor. Mm -hmm. It's undeniable. We see that throughout history, and I think there's going to be so much pride in those athletes' hearts. Uh, running down uh, the streets of their home uh, with the home crowd cheering them on. I think they are wise enough to not get caught up in the moment. Uh, They have trained, as you said, for six years specifically for this moment. I think they'll be the most prepared athletes on the line for this specific marathon.
1: I do agree with that. I'll state it a little differently. I don't know that anyone will out-prepare them. There might be others who are, are equal in their preparation. My point was the limited access to the course possibly being a hindrance in their attempt at these medals because they won't have the huge throngs that we might see in a non-COVID world. To build on your point of the honor uh, and tradition behind this, I will take you back to an anecdote from the... 1964 Olympics, the last time that we were in Tokyo for the Games. And that was actually an Olympic marathon that ended in the Olympic Stadium. A Japanese runner was in second place entering the stadium with only a lap of the track to go. Great Britain's Basel Heatley had an incredible kick to close, which pushed the Japanese athlete Kokichi Tusparaya back to bronze. This medal seemed like such an accomplishment, but that late race fade sent him into a downward spiral, uh, the misery of not being able to claim silver for his native land. He later told one of his teammates, uh, this is a direct quote, I committed an inexcusable blunder in front of the Japanese people after fighting injury and the demons of failure overwhelmed by the pressure and anxiety in the buildup towards 68 Mexico City Olympic redemption. He actually took his own life at the training camp before those games. That gives you an idea of the pressure and significance placed on this event in Japanese culture. As an aside here, what do we expect From Galen Rupp, Uh, we mentioned Mohammed is moving later into her career. She's probably got one more great shot left in her after this. You'd have to think this is, if not Rupp's last hurrah, it's it's probably his last as a legitimate metal threat. He performed very well in difficult conditions in the heat of Rio medal in the olympic games there and i think that plays to his advantage we've seen him on the track some he certainly doesn't have the speed and kick he once had but they are they're working on other elements of his race with new coach mike smith is he in the mix
0: i have to say so uh i like that you brought back the rio race i think we also saw in the olympic trials in the ten thousand that he's clearly strong he was there through the last lap uh, obviously not having that finishing speed also, on a very hot day, mm-hmm. um, mentioning what he and Coach Mike Smith have been working on. Rupp underwent surgery a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And actually, his, uh, I believe it's his left calf atrophied significantly. So they have been working on getting him balanced and strengthening that side and getting him back to being efficient. He has said in recent interviews that he feels like he's moving well again. And if Rupp lines up 95%, he has a medal chance. So I'm going to go ahead and say that we see Rupp in the top five.
1: Does he medal? I don't know. But he'll be there. That was a very decisive proclamation. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I agree he'll put himself in the mix. Coach Smith has said since the beginning of this process, when they joined forces, it was more about making him a marathoner not just a fast track guy who extended his reach out to the marathon distance, which is a more Salazar-like approach. I'm going to go up maybe sixth or seventh place. I just don't think he has the wheels. Some of the the top international guys who we know really can turn over, again, the conditions are going to be a factor, and then it's about early pace. Think championship style racing, Rupp's going to keep himself in the mix, but I I don't suspect that he has the move. I really want to see one of the Japanese guys medal. I think it would become one of the great stories to come out of this. Our last big, bold, burning question that we can't wait to see answered in Tokyo in the next two weeks. And that is do we witness history with Sifan Hassan competing in three events? The 1,500, 5,000, and 10,000, and potentially being a medal favorite in each. The Olympic schedule makes this feat exceptionally difficult. The toughest day of this would be, again, Monday the 2nd. Tune in. The 2nd and 3rd. The action is going to be so good. On Monday the 2nd, she could have the 1,500-meter heat in the morning and the 5,000 final that evening. So The schedule makes it so challenging, but she is, remember, a former world record holder in the 10K. She held that for just a few days earlier this year before it was broken, but she has such tremendous range that in the 2016 Olympics, she actually ran the 800. So We're talking about a swing from 800 to someone who we have mentioned as a potential world record threat all the way up to the half marathon. If she does this, it could be reminiscent of Emil Zatepek, Helsinki, Finland, 1952, when he took, he didn't just compete in, but he took gold in the 5,000, 10,000, and the marathon. Remember, that was his first career marathon attempt, also a much less mature event than it is today. To swing this and go 1,500, I think, makes it that much more difficult because of the rounds involved in the 1,500 and the uncertainty with how those will be raced. Is she going to run all three? And if she does, what does it mean for medal chances?
0: Yeah, I I think that she will run all three. Uh, She's going to be a threat for a medal in all three. Like you said, the hardest is going to be that 5,000 final with a 1,500 prelim in the morning. In that situation, in your opinion, does she want that race going out quicker or slower?
1: Mm. Well, first, I think there's still a chance that if she drops one, it is the 1500 and focuses on the 5 and 10. Given the competition, that's the most reasonable and logical move. It's the question of if you don't run the 15, does it set you up better for potentially multiple gold medals versus winning three different medals. But she said she wants to attack all three and she has a lot of confidence in herself. Could you clarify your question for me, Ben? When you said pace the race goes out, were you referring to the five final? I was. I was. Okay, so if she runs the 1500 metric mile prelim in the morning, which you assume would be tactical, just advance, then how do we want the 5,000 to race later in the day? I would want each of these races as much as possible to be about racing for as little time as possible. So for her sake, the patience, especially in that prelim, but again in the 5,000, I think, to just hang around and not have someone make a really hard move early on, despite her strength, I think plays out best when you're trying to do this multiple times. You just take so much out of the tank when you got to run hard from the gun in a bunch of races in just a few days. What's your opinion?
0: So I'm thinking in that 5,000 that she's going to have to dig more into the well if it comes down to a lightning quick last 400. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it goes out that 1440 to four 15 flat sort of range. That's going to be the sweet spot for her.
1: So set the pace early, get comfortable, break away from the field, and maybe it comes down to just a few people. Yes, Your opinion is probably uh, the more dominant one of how this would play out for her. But I I just think we're going to see her, if she does all three, with so much racing and the fewer numbers of meters that you have to race hard, the better. And I would have to suspect workouts have been set up in a way to anticipate not just rounds, but rounds on rounds rounds, then multiple events, different events. And I would have to think that they've done workload, sets up for closing hard in each of these. With the depth of the field, particularly in the 1500, this might be a little bit too much of an ask uh, to meddle in all three of these. But if Hassan, representing the Netherlands, could meddle in all three, that would be right up there with any of these other stories that we've talked about. We didn't even get to jumps. We didn't get to field, but that's the stuff on the track. We're going to break it all down as the events happen, keep you updated on any historic performances. Benji, any last thoughts on on those track events?
0: So I did like the parallel you drew between Hassan and Zatopek, And I think it goes deeper than just the quantity of events they're running. They're both very gracious competitors and really promote the sport. Zatopek. There's stories of him allowing other nations, countries, coaches to sleep in his bed that came to see him while he slept under under the stars. He gave away his Olympic jersey to an Australian runner. If you look on social media, Hassan is congratulating younger runners from other nations after great races. Uh, she reaches out. She responds to kids who comment on her posts. I think beyond just the running, they're great ambassadors for the sport as quality people. Um, so I will definitely be rooting for Hassan in Tokyo.
1: That's a great point. Just to add to your story a little bit of what an incredible champion and humanitarian Emil Zatepec was. He gave a gold medal away to the great Ron Clark, a preeminent distance runner of that era in the in the 60s. Clark never won a gold. And Zatepec thought that that was... One of the most disappointing results in track and field history, that a man who could be a world record holder in multiple events just didn't have it in the 5,000 or the 10,000 at any of multiple Olympics that he competed in. And Zatepec gave away his Helsinki 10,000 meter gold to Clark. Clark cherished that medal till... The day he died and shared that story with anyone he could, not because he received a gold medal, (laughs) but because of the generosity of Zadipak. Clark passed, uh, it's been probably five or six years ago now, and that story reemerged and was told again so many times uh, after his passing. You're right, that is the nature and spirit of the games, part of what we love so much about moments that we've watched in time that weren't even about winning or losing, but just the, the determination, the sacrifice that comes with being an Olympic athlete or an Olympic champion. So we look forward to seeing that across the board in all these sports. It's the time of year where I become a huge swimming fan. You know, I've been in the pool a bunch this summer. Uh, I will be watching all kinds of swimming. We'll be watching the track and field and certainly a handful of other obscure events that I get into once every four or now five years since we're off the quadrennial cycle a little bit. But our three biggest questions that we hope you tune in to see answered because it's just going to be incredible competition. For the men, it'll be that men's 1,500 meters, that metric mile who emerges there, the 400 meter hurdle duel between Karsten Warholm and Rye Benjamin, and of course, the closing of the games with the men's marathon in Sapporo on the women's side. It's also the 400 hurdles, the McLaughlin Mohammed showdown, Safan Hassan's attempt to triple medals in the f- 1500 meters, 5k and 10k. And then the young gun and the women's 800 with the absence of Castor Semenya. There is going to be so much more Grant Holloway, Noah Lyles, just an endless cast of characters who we can't wait to see. But those are the questions that we look so forward to having answered. And we will talk to you about how some of those play out on mile 92 of the seconds flat running podcast. Enjoy the start of the games. Have a wonderful week. Be smart training in the summer heat. And we will see you next time right here on seconds flat.
0: I